We've been thinking in this season about what it means to move forward from being a believer to being a disciple. And we've talked a little bit about this idea of the relationship between a disciple and a rabbi back in the time of Jesus. But I want to spend a little time this morning beginning by thinking about what it meant to be a rabbi, what it was like to be a rabbi in that first century time period. Now, I think we are inclined to imagine a rabbi as sort of a, a Jewish pastor. At this time, today in our world, yes, sure, but back then, it's really not a helpful comparison. A, a rabbi in the first century is nothing like a pastor. They, they were like celebrities, right? I mean, it was, it was Beyonce meets the Pope meets Aaron Rodgers, right? I mean, they were the most impressive people you'd know. I mean, they came into town and they were witty and funny and insightful and spiritual and crazy and courageous. Okay, it sounds a little bit like pastors. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, they, they were like the, the big dogs on campus, right? And everybody, um, everybody's desire, especially because it was a patriarchal system, the boys, um, was to be a rabbi, right? They wanted to be like these people. And in that season, um, uh, only boys could be rabbis. Jesus is radical in the fact that he starts letting women um, be disciples too, and with the idea they might be a rabbi one day as well. But in that season, um, you would spend much of your childhood studying, hoping that you'd be good enough to get uh, to be the disciple of a rabbi. And Ultimately, one day, if you were like the best of the best, you'd go to a rabbi and, and you'd say, I want to follow you, and they would quiz you on how well you had memorized pretty much the entire Old Testament. And if you passed, they would say, come and follow me. And you would begin to follow that rabbi. Uh, and you wanted to do everything that rabbi did exactly the way they did it. See, every rabbi had um, their own interpretation of Scripture, their own interpretation of how we were to live out Torah. They called it their yoke, right? And so you wanted to, to take on their yoke, and some rabbis have all kinds of extra rules and regulations and uh, ways you protected the text by going above and beyond what it required. It could be really kind of heavy, right? Jesus says, follow me because my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? The way I read Torah... Uh, is, is going to give you freedom and hope. So you were to follow a rabbi and you did everything they did, and, and that meant you were going to eat your meals the way they ate their meals, and you were going to um, worship on Sabbath the way they worshiped on Sabbath, and it meant you were going to read Torah like they read Torah, and really every little detail, right? I mean, you wanted to have their yoke exactly. Um, Rob Bell tells about this a little bit, and he has a story. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but he says... Um, since rabbis often had prayers for every behavior they did, there was reportedly a rabbi um, who had a, a unique prayer and behavior for, excuse me, but using the restroom. And um, he would come out of the restroom and he would say, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us holes in our bodies, um, which is a really helpful thing to have when they're not working. So, uh, and, and his little students, his little disciples, had to, you know, do everything the way he did it, right up into that prayer about holes in their bodies. The goal of a rabbi's student was to be so like that rabbi that one day you could become a rabbi yourself. Right? 
Um, and we spent some time um, talking about this idea a few years ago. We did a sermon series called Dust of the Rabbi. We had this cool graphic I really liked. Uh, and we were sort of riffing off of an old blessing instruction to rabbinical students that said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Uh, would you follow behind your rabbi so faithfully, so exactly, so closely, doing everything the way they do it, that literally as they walk down the road, the dust from their sandals gets on your clothes? I, I love, always loved that image. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Uh, and so uh, this is where we're going to pick up this morning um, with two big ideas. Uh, the first is that to be a disciple, to move forward from believer to disciple, means um, like a student of a rabbi, uh, we want to be like Jesus. And then second, and this is really important, Jesus thinks that we can be like him. Jesus has accepted us, right, as his students because he thinks we can be like him. So this is an overwhelming message in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. Uh, so, for example, um, Paul in um, our passage today says, let the same mind be in you that's in Christ Jesus. Um, Peter says, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. John says, whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Or again, in Ephesians, Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us. Jesus, who is God, believes that you can be like him. That's a big deal. So, uh, how, how do we do this? Well, we've already talked about how to do this. Um, pretty simply, being obedient and being together are the necessary precursors to being like, right? If you want to be like Jesus, you obey Him and you spend time with Him. Um, but this isn't something that happens overnight, right? You don't wake up one morning and roll out of bed and suddenly find yourself talking and thinking and loving and acting just like Jesus did. Any more than you wake up one morning and you find yourself suddenly an expert carpenter or pianist or football player or computer programmer, right? It takes a lot of work. So John Ortberg makes a distinction. He says, in life, you can train or you can try. I really like this. You can train or you can try. So uh, you want to run a marathon? Great. You can try, get some running shorts and some nice shoes and have a lot of water and maybe some pasta and then just go see how it goes. I'm guessing somewhere between mile one and mile 26, you're going to die or pass out or something, right? Or you can train, which takes months and months of running shorter and shorter and then longer and longer and longer distances until you, you're Get your body ready for the ordeal of 26.2 miles. Uh, I, I had an experience once where I, I tried instead of trained. In the previous church, I was a youth pastor, and I had to get a commercial driver's license to drive our short bus. And I, you know, I got the instruction manual, and, and I took the online test, and then I scheduled my in-person driving exam for the CDL. 
And I noticed in the instruction manual for the commercial driver's license, it said that there was a pre-trip inspection. You had to be able to identify the four parts of the suspension system and the three parts of the brake system and the parts of the steering system, etc. Um, but I wasn't really sure if that was real. Uh, and so I asked a friend in, who had a similar CDL, and she said, oh, you know, when I did it, they didn't ask me any of that stuff. They just asked me where the fire extinguisher was. I said, great. So I scheduled my appointment. I went there. Um, I met with the instructor. I said, yeah, let's do the pre-trip inspection. Sure. Here's the fire extinguisher. There's the flashers. There's the emergency exit. He said, great. Now let's go under the vehicle. I said, I'd rather not. <laughs> uh, so we went down there. I said, I'll try it. Um, in about 15 or maybe 16 seconds, he was like, okay, we're done. And he said, sir, you don't know any of this, do you? And I was like, I didn't get any of it right. He said, no, not a single thing. Do you want to continue the test? Because you've already failed. Uh, not a great moment for me. What did I do? I, I went home and I trained, right? I went home and I took that manual and I spent a couple hours underneath the bus and I got some smarter people who knew something about cars and, and I trained. So here's the deal. Um, God has been training or trying to train the Israelites to be like Him since the beginning. Uh, so even in ancient Israel, that, that's what's happening with these priests in this chapter 21 of Leviticus. It's a weird conversation, but he's trying to train them on what it means to be holy. He says, look, priests, if you're going to be the intermediaries between me and the people, then you can't be regular. You have to be different. And you know what? Death isn't something that ever happens to me. And, and so, you know what? You're going to have a weird relationship with death because people you know are going to die, and you're not going to get to mourn the way everyone else mourns. Because God doesn't mourn, right? God is joy, and, and so you got to be like me. By the way, we didn't read it, but the high priest, there's only one of those, the high priest um, can't mourn for anyone, right? If his father or mother dies, he doesn't go to the funeral because he's got to be holy, right? He's got to be apart from death, beyond death. God says, I want you um, and your exterior behavior to start looking like me. And then along comes Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, it's not enough for you to look like God on the outside. I want you to start thinking like God. I want you to be motivated by what motivates God. I want the same mind to be in you that's in me. And all of a sudden, um, we realize this call to be like Jesus isn't just about um, do we sin or not, right? It's about so much more than that. Our church has a vision statement. We say that we are embracing all, feeding spirits, reflecting Christ, changing lives forever. When we say reflecting Christ, all of us, including me, often think about our mission, right? The ways that we love the world and show the world the love of Christ. And that is spot on. But that's not all it means to reflect Christ. It, we reflect Christ when we think about our family the way Jesus thinks about family. We reflect Christ when we approach our work the way Jesus approached work. We reflect Christ when we worship the same way that Jesus worshiped. And this is what it means to want to be like Jesus. I want to, I want to serve and suffer and pray and love and laugh. I want to do everything the way Jesus did it so that when you see me, you see a little Christ. 
We're reading through the book of Acts together right now uh, on uh, this version app, and we just read um, Acts chapter 13, where in Antioch, the Christians, chapter 12, in Antioch, where the Christians are first called Christians, the word Christian means little Christ, right? Small Christ. That's what we're called to be, small Christs. By the way, if you're a believer, you don't need the answers to those questions. If you're a believer, you don't need to know how Jesus thinks about work or family or serving or how Jesus would approach humor or what kind of like. You just need some ideas to accept, right? But if you're a disciple, you got to have that stuff because your goal is to be just like Jesus in every aspect of your life. There's a great story uh, that Rob Bell again talks about in Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus sends the disciples ahead of him, and uh, then he prays by himself on a mountain, and then in the middle of the night, while they are on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, he comes walking past them on the sea. And as you can imagine, the disciples kind of freak out because you don't see this sort of thing very often. And at first they think it's a ghost or something, and Jesus is like, no, no, it's me, it's okay. And then remember what Peter does? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Why does Peter do that? Peter doesn't do that because he wants to see if he has superpowers too. Peter does that because he's a disciple. A disciple wants to be just like their rabbi. If the rabbi walks on water, the disciple has to do it too. Right? So he says, all right, if it's you, I got to do it. I'll come out on the water. Right? And it's this great moment where for we don't know how long, several steps for a little while, Peter walks on the water towards Jesus. And remember the story, uh, then we're told he takes his eyes off of Jesus, he looks at the wind and the waves, and what happens? He starts to sink, right? And Jesus grabs him, and he pulls him up, and he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And, and this is the piece that uh, Rob Bell changed for me. I always read that story, and I thought, he doubted in Jesus, Right? Uh, he stopped believing in the power of Jesus. But Jesus isn't sinking beneath the waves. Peter is, right? What's he doubting? He's doubting that he could ever be like his rabbi, right? The rabbi's walking on water, but I'm not sure I can do it. And as soon as he doubts that he can be like his rabbi, Jesus says, why did you doubt? I believe in you. That's pretty amazing, right? Jesus says, uh, it's not just do you believe in Him, but He believes in us. Jesus believes that we can walk on water. Jesus believes that we can be His ambassadors in the world, that we can love and serve and live like He did. He thinks we can be like Him. So, um, I think... This isn't a mystery how we do it. Uh, I, I think being like Jesus just involves a lot of training. It's not a mystery how you become a great pianist, right? I'll, I'll never be the pianist that Jihei is or that Les Freza is. And, and, and never, right? But why never? Well, yeah, there's some talent involved. Um, but I can't even imagine how much time Les or Jihei has spent practicing the piano and the organ, right? If I want to be like that, I got to do that. I, I know how to. We know how to train to be obedient and together with Jesus. 
Right? We, we know that we have this amazing instruction manual, this amazing love letter from God that tells us for 2,000 years how he got people ready for Jesus and then what Jesus said and did and then how his disciples responded to him and how they, we, we have all this information. We, we, we know how to do it. We have this community of people that come together to follow Jesus together. We have prayer. We, we have all the resources. We just have to decide um, that it's important enough that we want to be like Jesus. And, and, and this is maybe the, the core of our faith is to recognize um, that I need to be like Jesus because there's only one way to experience the union with God that I want to have. And that's the way Jesus did it. Right? There's only one way to experience the incredible community and family of God that He has designed for us to have and that's the way that Jesus wants us to live out that family. There's only one way for us to um, rightly read the Word of God. It's the way that Jesus read it. There's only one way that we can make sense of all of the brokenness in our lives and the suffering that we go through, and it's to recognize that somehow it connects to the suffering of Jesus. There's only one way, there's only one way you're ever going to rise from the dead. Only one guy has ever done that on his own. If you want to do that, you've got to do it like Jesus. So this is the calling uh, to let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, to make time to train to be obedient and be together with Jesus um, so that eventually being like Jesus is almost second nature. You don't have to think about it. It just is who you are. So that in the most challenging and difficult moments of your life, Jesus just comes out of you. Throughout this three weeks, I told you we were going to play with the Karate Kid. You've been waiting for it, right? The Karate Kid, uh, I think, is a wonderful uh, allegory of what a relationship between a disciple and a rabbi looks like. So I'm going to show you a clip from the Karate Kid Part 2. Uh, this is the very beginning of the movie, which picks up right after the first movie ended, where uh, Daniel LaRusso has won his tournament, and the guy he beat and the teacher of the guy he beat are in the parking lot having an argument. Uh, and then we're going to skip right immediately to the very end of the movie, the very last scene. So we're in the first scene and the last scene. And the last scene is Daniel fighting kind of the guy who was his enemy uh, throughout this movie. Uh, two important details. One is there's a lot of fake blood in this one, so I'm pretty sure it's like ketchup or something, so don't be worried if you're, if you're concerned about that. The other thing I want you to notice, though you're not going to see it in this clip, uh, is that um, both of these situations, uh, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel, who can do the fighting, have done everything they could to avoid it until they have to fight to protect someone else, uh, and that's where we pick up in these scenes.
mercy is for the weak. We do not train to be merciful here. A man face you, he is enemy. Enemy deserve no mercy. Ladies, no wait forever. You could have killed him, couldn't you? I... Well, why didn't you then? Because, Daniel-san, for person with no forgiveness in heart, living even worse punishment than death. Live or die, man. I said uh, last week, one of the worst things I can imagine Jesus saying to me is, you came so close. One of the best things I can imagine Jesus doing is just looking at me like that. So here's my hope, that in the normal moments of our lives and in the most difficult and intense moments, we won't have to stop and think about what would Jesus do. Because we've been doing that our whole lives. In those moments, we will just do what Jesus does. Because we've been training and training and training to be like Him. So this is my hope and my prayer for us, that we will be obedient, that we will be together, and we will be like Jesus, and that we will be covered in the dust of our rabbi. Thanks be to Him. Amen.